open up your Bibles to Ephesians 6. Isn't life crazy? Isn't life just nuts? I mean, just, it's just so crazy. And sometimes it seems super normal, and other times it seems super natural, and other times it's super natural, but natural. It's just the way it is. And I love tangible touch points where we come together as one. And we all just kind of like, whoa. It's like a huddle. You know, when the, the team comes together and huddles, or, or halftime, when the whole team's there, it's like, what's going on? How are you doing? Look at the scoreboard. What are we doing? You know, and what are we? And you just, and you reconfigure. And every time you come into God's presence, it's like a huddle. It's like a timeout. It's like, whoa, can I do, I need some orders. What's the next play? Coach me, coach me. And if you have learned anything at all in your life, it's to be coachable, okay? I use an athletic word because I like athletics, but it, the Bible says to be teachable, okay? Just to remain teachable, to show up. And you're here right now. You're ready to go. You showed up at the 9 a.m. service. Too many of you, by the way. Stop this. <laughs> No, don't really stop. You know what I mean. And I believe God's going to honor you for showing up to hear what he has to say to you. And I hope you brought your helmet, you know. I hope you brought your mouthpiece. I hope, you, hope you're ready for some, for some preaching today because Paul is real serious. This is the end of Ephesians. He's landing the plane. I mean, when you land the plane, it's like taking your kids to college and like letting them out of the car. And you look at them, you point at them and say, remember everything I taught you, you know. And the kids are like, whatever. You're like, let me just go over it from zero to 18, remember? You're like, no, it's too late. I'm gone. And Paul is saying, before you get off the plane, Ephesians 6, oh, walk in unity, walk in harmony, walk in purity, walk in victory. Oh, and don't forget, it's a war. You're being shot at. The, the devil's real, and he's real powerful. He's real evil, and you are really prepared. God's given you the armor to go to battle, to be victorious and to stand strong. And so I want you just to kind of armor up with me today as we land this plane. Next week, we intend to get into Luke chapter one. Crazy, okay, a new book. We started Ephesians, Jan January 17th is when we started Ephesians. You guys just listen way too slow. You guys are, I see your notes. So we're gonna start at verse 17 and we're gonna read through verse 24 and I'm gonna preach and then we'll be done. Okay, so this is, this is closure. Kind of sad, but I'm also excited to get into the gospel of Luke. Verse 17, he says, and take the helmet of salvation. Man, put your helmet on. Protect your mind and your thinking. Did you know that the world today attacks your mind all day long? I believe it's like 20,000 subliminal messages are given towards the average person per day, whether through radio or internet or billboards or signs or print or posts or tweets. 20,000 messages all going through your mind, crafting the way you think or react or stand. And so Paul's like, hey, you're a Christian. You better keep your helmet on. I'm going to put some tinfoil over your head. You know what I'm saying? Like, you, you got that friend? I got that friend. Anyways, you might want to protect your mind a little bit. The mind. He goes on to say, how are we going to navigate well? How are we going to do this? Put a helmet on. We've talked about the armor. If you miss the other pieces of armor, okay, there's seven in totality. And I've, I've been saying I wish I could give you seven easy or seven steps for an easy life. There's no such thing. But instead, God's given us seven pieces of armor for a very difficult life. Your life's going to be difficult. It already has been up until this point. It's going to be difficult because of the people next to you. And it's going to be difficult because of the decisions you make on the daily. Okay, it's just in the devil. 
So he says, here's some armor. Here's seven pieces. And we're just going to look at the last three today and then close the book. And so if you missed the first four, you can go on iTunes and just type in South Beach Church and it'll pop right up. Or you can download the app right now and you can check it on Facebook and put your phone away. He says this in verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's a weapon. It's an offensive tool because we're at war. You don't go to war without weaponry. And you got to know our weaponry. you got to know our God. And you've got to know your enemy. And he's been helping us to see that. Verse 18, he says, lastly, this last piece of armor. And praying always, verse 18, with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to the end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. If you could just hear this before I even move on and you put sermon mode on and tune me out. If you just hear this, he says, guys, gals, with all perseverance, with, until he says, and until he says, watchful to this end. Did you know, check this out. If each and every one of you get this point, this simple point. Here's the, here's the point, you ready? Write it down. Don't write it down, just think about it. To the end. If you get this, if you persevere to the end, if you're watchful to the end, if you're prayerful to the end, if you run this thing to the end, if you commit to the end, if you persevere, if you stand, if you stabilize, if you look to God, if you don't vacate, but instead you commit to the post God's called you to, to the end, it'll, there's nothing that can stop the church. There's nothing that can stop the church. It's when men and women, families, guys and gals, take shots repeatedly from the enemy, which you will, re- repeatedly. Shots fired, shots fired, man down. Repeatedly, that after a while, the armor pieces start to come off. And the perseverance and the commitment and the stance begins to waver. And eventually, yesterday I was at a wrestling tournament, so wrestling illustrations may come up today. I apologize. But there's this one particular wrestler, Nate Kaufman. He's a good wrestler, really good wrestler. As a matter of fact, when I tell my boys, I say, just do whatever Nate does, okay? Just do whatever Nate does. When, you, when Nate takes a drink of water, you take a drink of water, okay? You know, like, he's good. Just do what he does. And in the third round, this guy just wouldn't relent, and Nate wasn't, it, it, it was still going. It was anyone's battle. And his dad said, it's grind time. It, it's, it's hard. It's difficult, Nate. Both wrestlers want to quit. It's not fun. You guys think wrestling's fun? It's awesome, but it's not fun. And in the third round, Nate had more perseverance, more stick, more stay. And the other guy just cracked and gave up. And the end was Nate's. Nate was the victor. Three wrestling matches, three wins. He's the champion of the tournament. To the end. It's fun to see somebody go out there and get a quick fall and pin somebody in the first 27 seconds and they're not even sweating. But to see two wrestlers go to the end and know that the one who hangs on, the one who just perseveres. How are you going to do that, caffeine? (laughs) Nope. Nope. You're going to do it through, through these last three pieces, I do believe. Keeping the helmet of salvation on. That hope of his coming, the hope of his return, the hope, and not a fake hope. Hope is the expectation of coming good, confident expectation. It's not like hope, like I hope the Minnesota Vikings win today. That's not confidence at all. 
It's hope, like, oh no, my, my hope is in something. I, I know what's coming. That's where my hope is. I got a helmet on. I get headshots all day. It doesn't affect me. Bring it, bring it. I win. And the sword of the spirit, my offense, my, my attack mode, how, how I discern and defend and dismantle the enemy. And, and prayer. He says, prayer. I got covered. The whole thing's going to go down with prayer. These three won't keep you from the battle. No such thing. They will keep you intact, persevering to the end of the battle. That's what I want. I'm only 38 years old. I got a long time to go. But if I keep my eyes and you do the same on the prize, okay, we can do this. We can do this and we can march valiantly and victoriously. That's a, the idea here. Verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Man, let this whole thing just cover the people next to you. And he says, and pray for me, verse 19, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, so crazy. He's like, while you're praying, pray for me that I would be more bold to speak of the gospel for which I'm already in chains over. It's like, I think you might get in trouble, Paul. You're already in trouble. And he's asking, hey, I need more boldness to stay in trouble. It's like, you need a lawyer, you know? It's like, no, he doesn't. Boldness. Oh, Paul. You know he was standing trial to await and see Caesar Nero himself to give his defense. I appeal to Caesar. Oh, to Caesar you shall go. And on his way to Caesar he was. And so he, not being a dummy, said, can you guys pray for me? You pray for me too? Why? So I don't get killed? Nope. Not what he said. So I don't get beat? Not what he said. So when Caesar asks me the questions he's going to ask me, he can get saved. I can speak with boldness the things he needs to hear. So that this holiday season, Thanksgiving and Christmas, I can tell my family that I'm walking with Jesus now. That I go to church and they should come with me to the Christmas Eve services at 2, 4, and 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve. That I should go and I should find Jesus with them because he's changed my life. That I should be bold as well. And I don't know how you would have people pray for you in your time of duress or stress. Wait, let's just put it this way. What if you're in duress and stress right now? Right now. Oh, yeah. Hey, what if I was to take prayer requests for your duress and stress? You would probably instinctively write down your stress and duress. I got this, I got this, and I got this. Because that's how we are programmed. What if, though, you looked at it through a helmeted vision, an armored-up perspective, and you said, my stress and duress doesn't define me. My stress and duress is a platform for me to stand in the gospel. My stress and duress and pain and my illness and situation and disease and divorce and my calamity. Ah! Would you pray for me so I shine bright in this moment that I don't waste the pain, that I don't waste the platform that God's given to me through their sin and failure, through my inabilities and iniquities? I don't care how you got where you're at. What are you going to do now you're there? Stand. Put your helmet on. Helmet up. Grab your sword. Grab your sword. What do I do with it? Read it. You know? Use it. And you better pray it all in. It's just, I get such a big smile when I think about heaven. Don't you? Don't, I mean, I just, I, I see pictures of heaven, and I just, I, you know, there's no real pictures of heaven. Don't look. But, but you know, I, you know, heaven, I think about it. I just, ah, oh, I get teary-eyed. I just, oh, heaven, yes. Yes, it's the hope of heaven. 
it's the hope. The Bible calls the helmet in another portion of scripture the, the, the helmet of the hope, hope of salvation. It's the hope. It's the, it's the hope. And all of this will keep you intact in the midst of your battles. Verse 21, he says, but, this is the final closing thoughts, but that you also may know my affairs. He's writing to other people about himself in jail and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, he will make all things known to you. He's going to give you an update of what's going on here. Whom I have sent to you for this very purpose. This guy had, this guy had the, the letter in his hands. This is the first, you know, uh, word processor, Tychicus himself. He's the first email. Like, uh, if you do a Greek study on Tychicus, it means email. It's like just... Not true, not true. Just making sure you're here. Uh, he says, verse 23, listen, these are his final words. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And grace be with all of those who love our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh-oh, listen. In sincerity, amen. Interesting last tag word. Peace and grace. He usually says grace and peace, but I don't care. Here's his peace to you. It's almost like a command. Peace to the brethren. I'm going to talk about this if I have time, if you guys don't listen too slow. Peace to the brethren. He commands the brethren, just in case I don't get there. Peace to you guys and peace to you guys. The worst thing that an enemy, or should I say an army, can do is fight amongst each other. I mean, it's crazy. The worst thing, friendly fire. Peace to the brethren. Can I just say, may you be the most peaceful towards the brethren, the body of Christ, both here at this church, okay? Protect each other, promote each other, pray for each other, love each other. This is the body. And other churches in town, may we be guilty of loving other churches, being peaceful to them, oh, wanting their best, wanting their blessing, plugging our ears to all malice and gossip. The body should not be, it can't be divided. It's not going to work. And then he says, grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. Let's say a quick prayer and ask God to bless the time we have now in his word and to give you and myself what we need this day to live the next day. Father, in Jesus' name now, we applaud you and we celebrate you and we look to you. And while our country recently has a new supreme leader of our country, we look to the supreme leader of the world, past, present, and future the one who knows all, who sees all, the one who filters all. So we look to you. Our identity isn't so much American or Republican or Democrat or Green Party or Independent or rioter or protester. That's not who we are. We instead are citizens of heaven. Heaven. And we are here on earth on purpose. We are sent with a purpose. We are here to set captives free, to march to a different beat to take orders from above, to armor up, not with worldly warfare, weaponry, but heavenly armor and might. And so God, I'll be the first to confess my sins and say I'm oftentimes way too fleshly, way too weak, eh, sinful, and I apologize. And I wanna come to you this morning as we read before worship and learn of you, taking your yoke, your doctrine, your system, and putting that upon ourselves that we might grow and find strength for the days that remain. Lord, most of all, we just love you. We worship you. We look to you. Our hope is in heaven. We need you now today to make us the best that we can possibly be, and may we be more excellent, not less excellent in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. I just love, I love God's word. I love gathering. I love preaching and sharing and getting into his book. Uh, the Bible says, though, there's a great warning by Jesus' little brother in the book of James. Remember the book of James? And James says, don't go to Bible study and listen to teachings only. He says, but be doers of the word. He says, there's actually a real danger and travesty to hearing Bible studies and teachings. Don't be a hearer of the word only, but be a doer. His implication is, is that you can hear what the word of God says, nod and highlight and chuckle and underline and memorize. And he- hearing's easy. Isn't it easy? That's why you're all here to hear. Yeah, it's easy. He says, make sure you do it. And so my, my hope when I teach and when we gather is that there would be touch points and tangible application and excitement and energy. The last thing I want to do is just fan you guys up and get the flames going with no real substance. And so here, the substance is this idea of armor. Can I say what I'm going to say at the end, though? This armor's not real. You're not going to go out the door and find a bunch of shields handed to you. Okay, that would be real physical armor. Here's your shields, and we would probably all go to jail. You know, (laughs) South Beach Church has shields, you know, like they're going to attack us. This is spiritual armor. It's spiritual. It means you have to be a spiritual person. And not just a spiritual person, because there's thousands of spiritual people that aren't armored. You have to be a spiritual person, and at the very end, he says, in grace to those who have a sincere relationship with Jesus Christ. This armor, all of it, especially these last three pieces, are directly connected to the idea that you're actually intimately walking with Jesus Christ. That you're checking in with him on the daily. That he's got your Snapchat account number and connects with you. That he's on your Facebook friends list. That he has access. He's, you're dialed into him. And if you're not, this armor's useless to you. You could memorize it. I got the armor memorized. Really, are you walking with the source of all power, Jesus Christ? Walking in intimacy, as a matter of fact. And I'm trying to get some conclusion thoughts out there for this book while also get some tangible teaching points. Did you know that about 32 years after this book was penned, it's just a letter, Tychicus sent it, Tychicus gave it to him, they read it and read it and copied it and sent it and we got it now. 32 years later, another letter would land at Ephesus. Another message. And the message was, wow, your church is tripled in size. You guys have grown, you have so many programs, and you're against these evil things, and you have good doctrine, and man, you guys have really taken this thing seriously, the 32 years from now letter, it's in the book of Revelation, it's a message from Jesus himself to the church at Ephesus, and he says, there's just one thing you need to tune up, one thing you need to repent of, you've left, not lost, left your first love. You're doing it all now as a very professional 501c3. You've got food banks, and you guys are all, you know, legit and legal, and got kids, kids classes, and, but your love, that sincere, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ is what actually is going to keep you persevering to the end. Okay, you and Jesus. You and Jesus. You, and if you get this, if you leave here saying, Lord Jesus, Take my life. I'm a Christian. I believe in you, but I don't think I'm living with you or for you. I don't think that I'm actually into your kingdom as much as you are. And you can repent it and say, Lord, make me kingdom-minded. Make me equipped, Lord, and make it real and make me normal like Paul was, but also supernatural at any given time. I, I just love the both and. That God's asked us to live on earth. I mean, how many of you guys shop at Fred Meyer's? Raise your hand. Okay. 
How many of you guys shop at Safeway? Raise your hand. You know, how many of you guys shop at JC Market? You know, how many, you, we're just, you guys all shop somewhere? You know, a bunch of normal people. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to heaven, but I need some broccoli. You know, you know, I'm out of milk too. You know, I'd eat my cereal with water. You ever try to get your kids to eat cereal with water? <laughs> it's like, it's like poison. It's just poison, dad, it's poison. It's like, no, nah, just try it, try it, you know. And then you try it, like, oh, it is poison. So we're going to heaven, we're filled, we're anointed, we're saved, sin's forgiven, like what? But, but, but it's very normal. You know, my car doesn't start all the time. You know, that's the normal stuff. You bounce a check, you know. Life happens. You just, yeah. It's awesome. It's literally awesome. If you can just smile and enjoy it with somebody, maybe a life group, maybe you don't have a life group yet, you should find one. Just enjoy it. Just on Saturday night, maybe that's not true because Saturday night was last night. Maybe it was Friday night. I just sat there with my wife, and we just kind of, we've been busy, busy, and just the kids are asleep, and so we just kind of had a powwow. You know, you got those powwows with your people you live with, and like, all right, let's just kind of bring everything here and set everything in the middle, and let's deal with it. And it was, it was legit. It was hard. It was difficult. You know, it was like, we got some stuff. We just got to get, 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 get through. We did it because of heaven, because of Jesus, because of the reality, because of our authentic relationship with Jesus Christ, our foundation. And I, my, I, married my, I married my wife when she was 19. She's 35 now. And, and we got married in a true desire to please Jesus with everything about us. That's all we wanted to do. And it, that's all we still want to do, but now we need broccoli and milk all the time. So too many kids, it's just chaos, you know? Life's crazy, and the dog, you know, get over here, dog, you know, and the dog. I have, a, I have a beagle, you know, if you guys have ever seen a real a beagle, they're like runners, like the door's open, the beagle's like, say ya, you know? <laughs> Like a week later, the dog comes back like, what's up? You're like, you can't do this. But heaven's so real. And it's so transcendent. And he says here, you just got to gotta come to the Lord and check all your, your pride at the door and all your, your, your desires to do your own thing. This is the, the climax of Christianity is, is where it started. It's where it stays, where you deny yourself and say, yes, Lord. And then daily, you just say, Lord, yes, 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 Lord, yes, Lord. And you walk with him, and you, you talk with him, and you grow with him. And years go by, and there's good years and bad years, just like the rings of a tree would be identified. If you cut a tree down, you could see this tree had a great year this year, lots of water, good climate temperatures. And then you would look at the next year, and oh, my goodness, looks like a fire raged through your life. And yes, it did. And the, the climax is the same as the stance where you... De- Minish your pride and say, Lord, you're God, I'm not. Take over. That's how you got saved. Tears and all snot, <laughs> you know. I was there, I saw it, you know. <laughs> and then you start going to get broccoli and living your life, you know, and stuff happens. And the Lord says, hey, don't get too, don't get too, just stay with me. Here's, and here, how are you going to do that? You're going to take up the sword, okay? You're going to walk in the spirit. You're going to stay thinking about me. You're going to stay saved. You've got to protect your mind because there's a... A thousand shots come at you all day. Images, all this crazy stuff. Just put the shield on. Watch out. Am I, am I going to make it, Lord? Yep, you are to the end. Oh, is it going to get easier ever? No. If I were to tell my wrestlers, I coach. I got two boys I coach and I coach other. Hey, this next round's going to be easy. They would be so mad at me. I tell them, no, this is going to be tough. You're probably going to get cut. You know, Dad, my leg hurts. It's going to hurt worse when you're done. Go, you know. I'm honest. It's never going to be easy, but you win. You win. You win. 
And how you look at this text and how you look at the battle is so important. Paul's taught us how to be good. Walk in purity, walk in unity, don't be dummy, don't be mean. Oh, but don't forget there's a big battle going on. It's this last section here. And when you, th- when you understand it's wartime, you just act differently, don't you? How many of you guys act differently on vacation than you do when you're not on vacation? You just act a little different. Okay, how many just lied to me? You all act different. You go on vacation. I've got a couple of vacations. I still remember. I'm just like, oh, just, I love vacations. Can, I'll be the carnal one today. I love vacations. I love just going away and like unplugging. And the rules of vacation are that you're supposed to turn your phone off and kind of all correspondence ceases. And if you've ever emailed somebody, like you're at home working, they're on vacation, you don't know, and you email them and you get an instantaneous response, you're like, whoa, cool. They got back to me already. And then you open it up and it says, I'm out of the office until like 2020, sorry, you know, I'm on vacation, ah, and when you're on vacation, the root word of vacation is vacate, you left something, you're like, here in La La Land, and we need that for stress and for our workloads here, but in Christianity, there is no vacation, there is no stopping point, there is no, it's my time now, this is where I take my helmet off, and this is where I cut loose, and this is where I make up my own rules. I'm going to put my sword down and pick up this, you know, periodical. And I'm going to all, listen, the, the devil wants you full, full well to take a spiritual vacation. And I'm all for, you know, normal vacations, okay? I think we should take more. I believe in a three-day work week. I'm just kidding. <laughs> That'd be cool. You know, more, you know, but the spiritual vacation, because when you're on spiritual vacation, you act different. You don't check in with your commander, with headquarters. You don't look to the rule book. You don't take inventory. When you're in a battle, you are constantly checking with headquarters. Any new messages? Any new commands? Anything we need to know about? You're looking to the rule book and you're looking to see what's happening. You're charting and mapping and strategies. And things happen differently in Paul when it comes to spiritual life. At the end of his letter here, gets this military commander typology in our mindset. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in verse 10. What's the implication? Stop being weak. Stop being so easily dissuaded and distracted. Then he goes on to equip us, okay? Because you can't do any of this without being intimate with Jesus and equipped with his armor. He doesn't say just man up, just, you know, become a Viking, you know, on your own and, you know, get strong and all these macho things. That's not what he's going for at all. He's saying you need to be strong and here's how you do it. You need to armor up verses 11 and 13. You need to stand and have that stance and you need to not quit, not vacate, not let up. And we love vacations because when you're on vacation, you get to do it your way. You know what I'm saying? You get to make your own rules and make your own time and your own appointments. And you don't get to have to take orders from anybody. There's something in you, not me, just you. No, I'm just kidding. Something in us that doesn't want to be told what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's why we love vacation. I'm on, I'm on vacation. You know. Yeah. And it's, it, what it is is it's pride. Pride doesn't want to be subject to anything. That's what got Satan in trouble at the very, very beginning. He didn't want to. And Satan is the father of pride. And our culture promotes pride. And all this pride is in our hearts. And we don't want to listen. And we don't want to obey. And so when you became a Christian, just so you know, the climax is also the, 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 the stance. You checked your pride at the door. And you realized, I can't. He can. I think I'll let him. It took you some, some head knockings to get there. You know what I'm saying? I got this college. I got that. You know, I think I, I can't. He can't. I think I'll let him. And your pride took a back seat. Then how do you navigate forward, though? 
What do you do on the daily? Do you check in like James would say? And if the Lord wills, I'll go here, I'll go there, I'll buy that, I'll sell that. It's up to him. He tells me what to do. When my family and I moved here six years ago, a lot of people asked me, how long are you going to be in Newport? I'm like, what are you asking? I have no idea. I hope to die here. It's not, I don't make my decisions where I go. Truly, I've got an antenna up into heaven, and God tells me what I do and don't do. I ask him. I've done it my way. You've done it your way before? Have you done it your way before? How much time did you get? You know what I'm saying? Like, we know. Here's my question. How do you view Christianity? Is it, is it a list of good deeds? A list of good advice? Or is it a declaration of good news? The good deeds and the good advice, if you want to use that word, I wouldn't, come out of the good news, this declaration the declaration of who God is and what sin does and what the plan will be. And there are no alternatives and we don't get to pick and choose. Matter of fact, Jesus said it this way. He said it in Luke chapter four, he showed up to a Bible study, okay? Jesus was just wild. He showed up to a Bible study and said, give me the book. And they gave him the book, okay? Rabbis would read out of the book and so he grabbed the book and he opens up to Isaiah chapter. I can't remember the chapter, but he, he reads and here's what he says. And he says, this is about me. Here's what he said. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to claim or proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He sat down and then said, today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Those are fighting words. Jesus showed up and said, I'm here to set people free. You know, they would go on to say, we're Abraham's kids. We're not, we're not captive to anything. Excuse me, I got to go stand, you know. They, and Jesus said, no, I'm setting people free. I'm here to declare war on the devil, war on darkness, war on disease, war on destruction. And he sat down and said, it's being fulfilled right now. And then he looks at the rest of the church and says, I'm going to give you now the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to go into the world and buy your broccoli and buy your milk, be super normal. But you better have your helmet on. You better have your sword out. You better be prayed up for opportunities. God, to open up opportunities and doors for you and to create a platform for you, even in your pain, maybe in your successes. And you better just know, how do you view Christianity? Oh, man, it's a life, life raft, dude. I was just going, you know, and I got saved, and now it's good. I'm super good. It's a vacation. I'm on vacation, you know. Are you on vacation as a Christian? Is it a vacation? Or are you like Jesus? You drop in like a paratrooper, grab the book, read about setting captives free, slam it down, and then go get killed for it. It's crazy. It's crazy. And everything we're in right now is a battle, a battle of the mind, a battle of truth, the word of God, and a battle for souls and for darkness. And when you're on vacation, I, again, don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about real vacations. I love real vacations. We've got books. We go on vacations. We take lots of pictures. We take the pictures, send them to a company that makes a book out of them, and I just look at those and just think about that time on that beach, you know, with that sun. Remember the sun? You guys seen the sun before? Oh, have you ever been to a beach with the sun? Like, we have the beach here, but there's no sun, okay? You get the two, you get the two in one, man, you take a picture. Like, yeah! Anyways, that's me. You can pray for me. Thank you. 
How, how do you look at Christianity? Is it a vacation? If you think it is, you'll act like it. If it's a war, though, you'll think like it is and you'll act like it is. Because people act differently when they're on vacation as opposed to when there's a war going on. As a matter of fact, if there's a war going on, there are strategies that are planned and there's sacrifices that are made and there's services that are committed to. All that happens in war. Strategies. What's your strategy right now for the war you're in? What's your strategy? Well, I get organic broccoli. That's what I do. You know, it's like... <laughs> Okay, that's good. Me too. Me too. You know, actually, I get conventional broccoli, but uh, it's too expensive. Anyways, what's your strategy? Are you going to get into his word? Are you going to pray, listen, fellowship, digest, get into it, have powwows with the people you love, pull people aside, confess sin? What's your strategy? If you don't have one, it's because you're on vacation. It's because you're on vacation. That you're on vacation. Or you can say, yeah, what am I doing? He gives instructions right here. Take up the sword. Put the helmet on. Pray. And you could agree and say, that's so, so legit, so good. I'm so glad he's doing that. Huh? It's not going to work for you if you don't do it for yourself. This is an intimate reality for you. What, what's your strategy? What, what sacrifices do you make? When you're on vacation, if you go to all-inclusive resorts, right? They're going to sacrifice for me. That's how it's going down. <laughs> and it's awesome. Okay, but when you're at war, what, what sacrifices do you make? If you're, if you're at war, when we defeated Nazi Germany in World War II, there were sacrifices that the whole country undertook, okay? Giving, serving, using less resources in order that we could do what we had to do. And wars are won when people sacrifice for the cause. When they give of themselves and they commit, what service are you committing to in your marriage or at your church or in your town? Or are you, are you, are you, I'm just on vacation, I'm saved, but I'm just, hey, or is it that serious? And, and, and he instructs us here. It is serious. You need to have a strategy, and sacrifices do need to be made. Every time you give, it's an act of war. You realize that. When you write your tithe check, your offering check, when you commit to God's ministry, to the service at this church or any church, it's an act of war. You're saying, yep, take down the devil. Here's a check. Do something, buy another hoodie, buy a Bible, pay somebody, do something, do something against the devil. Here's my money. It's an act of war. You show up to serve. There's people right now serving in the Sunday school classrooms so you can be here and be taught and edified, stirred up and anointed so they can be educated and have the gospel given to them and they can get saved. It's an act of war. All of it is. Or you can be on vacation and do none of it if you have that wrong perspective. Again, Luke 4. Jesus shows up. Give me the book. Give me the book. Let me tell you why I'm here right now. Just, just in case you don't know. And then he was murdered. K killed. A murder. For, for an act of war. He, he tells us, and I just need to say this because it's, it's in my notes and it's, it's important. I don't really want to say it, but I'm going to. Uh, that, that he tells us we're wrestling against the devil. Okay? And that should make you happy. Because I don't want to wrestle against you. I don't want to wrestle against people. I'm tricked into that. Aren't you tricked into wrestling against people? He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against the devil, principalities, spiritual hosts, wickedness, rulers, darkness, eh, all that stuff. He tells us that. We've gone through it. It's not about the, the people. And so if right now you're guilty of one reaction or another due to last Tuesday's election results, there are people right now that are arguing and fighting against flesh. There are people on the side that are happy, prideful, and boastful that their candidate won. <laughs> and you're being mean and mean-spirited. And by the way, your, your hope is misplaced. Okay? Your hope's been misplaced. And there are others who are disappointed at the results. The election results didn't go your way. And you're, you know, and mean-spirited. 
and you're disappointed. And guess what? Your hopes are misplaced as well. Okay? Our hope is not in the candidacy of America at all. It has never been. It has never been. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. That is our hope, okay? I'm not even messing with you. Praise God. We love you. And so I just, I need to say that. I don't believe any of you are really guilty of it. You, you be the judge of that. But there's just this, don't get sucked into that, okay? Don't get, that's not the war we're fighting. That's not the war we're fighting. We look to Jesus and we shine and we are excellent. We do the best we can possibly be. And he gives us the way to do that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. Wouldn't it be fun if you went to your coworkers this week and they were opposite voters than you or different thinkers than me or all the rest and you just didn't look at that, but instead you put your helmet on? Oh, I'm saved. I can, I can truthfully serve you. I'm good. I don't need to worry about me. I can serve you out of an abundance of love and joy. And, and I got the word which gives me my instructions. I actually know what to do and I know what is happening. I've got the book and I've got the playbook and, and I'm actually prayed up and all of a sudden you're just equipped to be excellent, totally different. Oh, that'd be so awesome. Let's, let's do that together. So we are in a battle. I, I don't know how you look at Christianity. It's not a uh, vacation. It is indeed a war. And so the first thing we're going to look at today, see verse 17, he says, so put a helmet on. Take the helmet of salvation. This is going to protect your mind and the way you think, because right now the devil wants you to think opposite of what God is instructing you to think, doesn't he? Opposite. What is popular today, what is accepted today is the opposite of what you should think according to the scriptures. I'm serious. And you need to protect your mind because false preachers and false teachers are afoot taking and twisting and perverting the scriptures and truth and history and all the rest. And if you don't have a helmet to protect your head, you'll think differently because how many of you taken some shots by the devil? How many have been rattled around through life? Maybe just not even false teaching and false truth, but how many of you been rocked by pain and violence and disappointment? And if you don't know that you're saved, know that Jesus is coming. If you, don't, if you don't have that big, what I like to call the grand meta-narrative picture, the, the big idea, when a divorce happens, when a, a child dies, when there's a problem, when something bad happens. If you don't have the grand meta-narrative helmet, woo, that was a tough one. I just got a headshot. Almost took me out. You ever taken a big headshot, like a big bell ringer, you know, and you woke up like in a different room? I, I, I fell down one time, apparently, in, in high school. I can't remember it, but I fell down, apparently. And as the rest of the night would, would go on, I had a 45-second uh, amnesia loop that would happen in my mind. And for 45 seconds, I would be coherent, and then it would go back. And so all night long, and I come from Generation X, so before phones with cameras, but they did have a camcorder, so they filmed this event. And here I am with amnesia. I got hit in the head, and the next day I woke up at my best friend's house at the time, and my face hurt. And I had evidently bought a new car the day before. And I was like, whose car is that? true story they filmed it it's really good stuff they should have called the doctor (laughs) did you know that the devil wants to hit you just get you off doing stupid stuff forgetting your marching orders forgetting what's happening forgetting what god has purchased for you it's not that hard especially through disappointment pain is real does pain ever impact you emotional pain just ah, and all of us it's real it's real i counsel people all the time Keep your helmet on. You're in pain, right? You need, to, you need to helmet up. Okay, the devil's rattling you around because you're getting attacked. 
You get your orders, by the way. You not just get uh, protect your mind, but you get your orders from uh, your commander-in-chief, the sword of the Spirit. He says in verse 17, uh, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And let me just ask you, what, what do you think this book is? It's a sword. You can actually use a kind of play on words. You could type G-O-D-S space W-O-R-D, God's word. You could slam it all together and it's God's sword. It's, I didn't make that up. <laughs> Wish I did. It's God's sword. This is, when I take, did you know that when you take this book up, it's an act of war on the devil? When you, when you read this book, when you subject yourself to a church that teaches it, when you go to work and you download a podcast instead of listening to your music and you listen to the word of God, you memorize scripture and you decide to as a couple, let's read through the book of Jude. It's one chapter, not that hard. Let's do it together before bed. When you do those things, it's an act of war. You're picking up a sword and going against darkness itself. Jesus went to Bible study. He said, give me a book. I'm going to read it to you. War. He began to preach and to declare truth over lies and darkness. It's a weapon. It's a weapon. As a matter of fact, the very first spiritual battle ever, if you want to know history, if you want to proof text any of this, is in Genesis chapter 3. And did you know that the very, very first spiritual battle between Satan himself and Adam and Eve, our grandparents, the very first battle was against and about God's word. Satan crept into the garden and challenged what God had said. Did God say that? Quizzically? Are you sure he said that? Do you think he meant it? What do you really think he meant? Is he even good? And all of a sudden, it's, that's the, the devil's kind of dumb, just so you know. His strategy hasn't changed, okay? To lie, to steal, and to destroy. He has the same tactics, new crowd. And he lies to you, and he attacks me, and he attacks this book, and this book is how we attack him back. This book, the, the sword of the spirit. And when you... Cherish this book, Act of War. And when you read this book in the morning through your fog and through your, gotta get, you know, when you, Act of War, you just armored up. You prepared yourself on the contrast. When you put the book down, it's an act of surrender. When you question the book, act of surrender. When you don't do this, I see it, it's, it's happened in, right in front of my face. When you seek to take the book in its plainness, eh, I don't know if, I, if it really says that. I'd like to change that to fit my current position. And I've talked to people. If you, if you type, if you double click on it a thousand times, it actually says something different. What? If you read it upside down in an elevator, in, in Greek, you know, with Braille. The Braille, the Braille version is really interesting. It's like I'm blind. Listen, sorry. I've, I've just talked to so many people that it's an act of surrender. I'm just going to give up. I'm going to surrender. Did you know that the Bible is 66 books comprised into one book? 66 books. Did you know that the Bible was written over a 1,500-year period? Did you know that the Bible has over 44 authors? Did you know that the Bible was written on three separate continents? Did you know that the Bible was written with three different languages? Did you know that if you take all of those ingredients and throw them into a blender and hope that it comes out with cohesiveness and power and a grand meta narrative story, if you were to take those things and take 1,500 years, three continents, three languages, 44 different weirdos, and say, just, 
tell me how you think God works. Okay? Go ahead and go ahead, write it down, you know? And this is what humanity outside of God's influence has done. Because has humanity decided to take, to take a stab at what they believe spirituality is and who God is? We call that world religions. You take the Bible, though, which is not a world religion. It's a heavenly religion. It is God's direct, the Bible, the B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth, this book, the book. And this book's been more scrutinized and more tested and more criticized than any other book in the whole entire world, and yet it has stood fast and it has become more pure in its power. This book cannot be shaken because God wrote it. Nothing of it makes sense. It is the power of God unto salvation, the book. It is how we defend ourselves, how we arm ourselves, how we navigate forward for ourselves. The book. Do you know what the book says? Are you doing this? Be a student with me until you die of this book. Oh, it's too big. Start now. Oh, there's too much. Start now. I won't be able to finish. Start now. I think I'll just go on Facebook. Delete it. You'll be better for it. I dare you. You won't be worse for it. Did you know that when Jesus was in the wilderness, right after he got baptized, okay, John the Baptist, J the B, the baptizer, baptized him, and he went right into the wilderness, Matthew 4, and he tempted him for 40 days, and Jesus defended himself with the sword of the Spirit every time. When tempted, Jesus quoted verses, man shall not live by bread alone. Do not, do not test the Lord your God. He, he quoted verses out of the book of Deuteronomy. Evidently, Jesus was having his quiet time in the book of Deuteronomy. That was what was on his mind. And he used the word to defend himself against the logic and strategies of the devil. The Bible, the Bible, the Bible. Uh, do you know what the book says? Spend the rest of your life figuring it out. You will not be disappointed. Get into it. Study it. Okay. Find a small group. Read a book at a time. Come to church, man. It's an act of war. I gotta keep going here. We're gonna be in trouble. We're gonna get in trouble from somebody. I don't know who's gonna, who's gonna be mad at us, but this, this sword, by the way, will bring with it a cost when you use it. It will be like other countries soon, where it is illegal to own a Bible, where it will be illegal to preach what the Bible says. It will be illegal soon, okay? Whether five years or, or 50, it will be illegal soon in America one day to preach what the Bible says. It will go down. Just mark my words. It already is the case worldwide. It's a sword of war. <sighs> Trust me. People die daily because of what this book says and they stand for it. We get to die to ourselves, our flesh, daily. And when somebody asks you, you believe that? You don't, you don't have to like me. You don't even have to believe me. But yes, I do believe that. You, are you ignorant? Are you a fool? Yesterday, driving on the way to Willamina with my two boys, Noah, my eight-year-old, my kids are homeschooled, he asks me if I believe in Pangea. How many of you guys do not know what Pangea is? Raise your hand if you don't know what Pangea is. It's a restaurant in Ashland. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> it, it actually is a restaurant in Ashland. But P Pangea is this theory, this idea, that at one point all of the seven continents were one united mass of land. That if you use Photoshop and an imagination, you can crunch them all together and at fats, you know, and so my son asked me, Dad, do you believe in Pangea? And I said, well, it's just a theory. So the problem is, is that theories are believed based on evidence provided. So the only evidence we have of Pangea is the possibility that they would fit, just like the Photoshop imagination. So I'm, I have no problem with Pangea, but there's no evidence for it. I said, here's what we do, kids. 
We, what we believe, as far as history and all the rest, we believe our theories that we've concluded to as a family are based on the evidence provided for out of the Bible. The evidence of the scriptures is where we come to our conclusions as the Frechette family. This is how we navigate our lives and make our decisions. Pangea isn't spoken of directly, but I could see it correlated to the great flood and to the massive things that happened in Genesis 1, 2 and, and on Genesis 6 and all this stuff. I'm fine with that. But I told him more succinctly, I said, when the Bible says something, okay, that's evidence. And you can choose to accept it or reject it. It is evidence to me. When the Bible says that Joshua marched into Jericho and there were walls, and that seven days later they chanted and walls fell down, people laugh. <laughs> Must have been a, a, you know, a, a bass drop, you know, and the bass hit with this dubstep. And they're, you know, I just made that up. It was super funny for some of you. How could the walls fall? That's making it. That's what the Bible says. And I said, if you go to Jericho today, it's modern day ruins, and there are walls buried within the ground. Today, there are walls, the structures, crumbled walls, and were swallowed up at one point somehow through an earthquake. Because the Bible's true. The sword, the sword. Don't put your sword down, okay? Lastly, moving through this armor, put your helmet on. You've got to know how to navigate through. Don't take your helmet off. The devil wants to shake you down. You've got to be a person of the word, defending and concluding to the theories that God's given to you. But lastly, you have to be prayed up. Look at verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. Can I just say coincidentally, Christians, Jews too, those who pray to the only real God are the only people that pray to God. Only people that pray in the spirit are those who pray to God, the spirit. Okay, there are lots of people who are spiritual and meditate and even pray to their gods. It's not real. It's not, it's not right. You pray in the spirit of God, the third part of the Trinity, the third person, I should say, of the Trinity. Being watchful, verse 18, to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for the saints and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Prayer, listen, is our two-way communication. You're at war, aren't you? And you communicate to the commander through prayer, and he communicates back to you through prayer. Prayer is, is, is a dialogue. It's not didactic one way. It's a dialogue. There's a conversation going. Can you imagine if you were in a real war, like a physical war, and your commander said, okay, we're going to let all of you go into this enemy land and invade, and you're not going to be able to hear anything from us. There's no instructions. Just go do what you think is best, and don't tell us how it's going. Okay, we're totally going to win. You would say, no, I kind of want to know exactly what you want from me, and I need to give you updates every second. Like, it's got to be tight. No one would invade anyone without a communication plan. I got to know how you're doing. You got to know what we want. You got to be able to receive. You got to prayer. If you're on vacation, you don't pray, just so you know. Okay? If you're on a spiritual vacation right now, prayer's not important to you. It's just not Jesus walked with his disciples for three years, and at the end of his ministry, they said, Lord, would you teach us to pray too? Because that's one thing you do that we don't. He walked on water. He made water into wine. He healed lepers. He did all kinds of stuff. They didn't ask for teaching on any of that. They, they realized that his war life was powered by his prayer life. If you need to repent of anything today, it's of your lack of prayer, anything at all in your, in your walk, anything at all. Pray, pray for me, he says. Do you pray for the leadership here? Do you pray for Pastor Bo, Pastor Matt, myself? Do you pray for Donald Trump? That was weak. <laughs> do, you, do you pray for the leaders? Do you pray for people? That's not my problem. It is your problem. You ever been on vacation before? It's so fun to go on vacation. None of it's your problem. 
See stuff going on, somebody else's house, not my problem. You're at the beach, not my problem. You're at the restaurant, not my problem. Okay. You're a Christian, it's all your problem. Jesus showed up, give me the book, give me the book. Today, captives set free, light shining, war happening. I'm here, I'm here, pray, pray, he says. Man, prayer, and Jesus prayed to succeed. Listen, what makes you think you don't need to? If Christ himself, God, <laughs> prayed, and you don't think you need to, you're on vacation. You took a wrong turn. You got, if you got anything important going on in your life right now, okay, start with the church. You guys think South Beach Church is somewhat important? You think it's, a, you think it's fun, easy, good, not, doesn't need your participation and help? Wrong. Put your helmet back on. You believe the lie. Paul says, you need to pray for me. Oh, you're Paul. You'll be fine. Pray for me so I could stand. Pray because there's chaos and disorder and craziness. Pray for yourself. Pray for the place of influence that you have and the service that God's given to you. Pray for our public schools and for our first responders and the government systems. And I love this town. I hope you love this town with me. I love this county. I love our school system. I love the people that I know. I, want to, I need to pray for them, though. Loving them is, has action to it. Pray for the judges. Pray for the cops. Pray for the Coast Guard. Pray. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just that. Here's a question. Are you, are you a powerful Christian or just average? Or worse yet, are, are you apostate and failing? He gives us at the end here our warfare, our weaponry. You, you, you're going to buy broccoli and milk, okay? It's fine. So will I. Life is so fun. Life is so normal. Your beagle's going to run away. It's just life's going to happen. Things are going to break, you know? Light bulbs will burn out. Life, you're just going gonna to have to go get a root canal. You're going to be there. You're going to have to spend money on stuff you don't want to spend money on. That, we're in this thing. Don't be deceived into thinking that's the war. This is what it's all about. That's just the mop-up, okay? That's just wasting time. That's just wasting time until we get there. I love seizing the day and having fun. I love trap. Yesterday, we drove. My sons and I, we drove to Willamina, and they wrestled. My wife and daughter showed up at 9 for the first match and watched all six matches. And then we all got in two cars and drove to Hillsboro all the way across the rest of the world, you know, back roads and Dundee and Yamhill Carlton. It was crazy. I thought we were, you know, Wizard of Oz or something, you know. And, and we got there, and we watched the soccer game, Newport Cubs, national champion, national champion, state champions, you know, soccer game, cruised home, stopped at Baja Fresh. Had a great day. Just a, a normal day. All the time thinking about... You guys, thinking about the wrestlers, thinking about life, thinking about heaven and hell. And have it, the Bible says to focus on heaven, set your mind on things above. And this idea here, gosh, I have a whole other Bible study to give. I don't have time. I'm just going to rip through this. this. This idea here is a perseverance and stance. And I just need to say this again. I said it at the beginning. You need to stand. You need to be strong. You need to armor up. And you need to persevere in your calling. What God has called you to is not most likely a temporary assignment, okay? Temporary deployment. It's lifetime. What has he called you to? Satan wants you to quit something right now. Quit Bible study. Quit your small group. Quit South Beach Church. Quit giving. Quit praying. Quit reading. Put your sword down. Take your armor off. Quit being nice. Quit repenting of sin. Just give all. Just go in. You ever gone all into your sin for a season? (laughs) Don't do it. Satan wants you just, I'm just going to, just. oh man, I'm just going to, I'm going to quit standing and I'm just going to give up. This is a hard concept. I teach this to my boys. I say, look, sons, if you're on your back getting pinned, it feels like you've lost, but you actually haven't. You haven't lost. We watched a match last night. I think it was, uh, uh, 
Slate Steenkolk. Slate Steenkolk uh, wrestled yesterday. And he, he's a first-time wrestler, first-time, never, never done it before. In his third match of the day, he lost twice, and maybe it was his second match. Either way, this guy was beating up on him, real good, just beating up on him. He's a first-year wrestler, doesn't know what he's doing. But all of a sudden, Steen, Steenkolk, Slate, put this other wrestler on his back, and the other wrestler didn't know what to do. He just stood right there. And, and Slate was losing massively, and yet he put this guy on his back. He didn't quit, and Slate got the win of his life, pinning this guy. And I'll just tell you what, your victory has already been purchased by God. All you have to do is stand there, persevere, don't give up. My job, my call right now is to stand with my wife and my three kids until I die. I can't leave them. If I leave this post, if I give up, they're going to be shot. You can't leave your post. They're going to be shot. What has God called you to? Just stand there. Just be you. Be excited. Heaven is coming. Keep the helmet of the hope of heaven and salvation on, and you will stand. People get married all the time, don't they? It's awesome. I love weddings. I do them all the time. You know what I love more than a wedding, which is what I would consider a deployment? Oh, you got married? Good job. That's awesome. What I love more than weddings is 20-year anniversaries, 30-year anniversaries, 40-year anniversaries, and 50-year anniversaries, okay? And, and there's a war going on. And I realize even in this room, there is much damage, okay? And God would give to you now these two last words, peace and grace. I'm going to have the worship team come up because I'm out of time. We've got another service creeping up on us. Peace and grace. He says, peace to the brethren. Peace to you. Be at peace. Please, please be at peace with the brethren. It's so easy just to fire shots at me or other people. Man, just mature. Grow up with me. Let's do it. I meet with the local pastors in town. You guys all know that. And I love them. And I, I just I want to continue to cultivate that. But he says here at the end, he says, grace to you. A last verse, final verse of Ephesians. This is it. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. What? Grace to you. Did you know that you as a warrior, please hear this as you leave. This will seal the deal. When men and women go to war in Iraq or Afghanistan or Vietnam or Korea, Japan. They go in with a huge uncertainty of victory. I don't know if we're going to win. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to win. Did you know that as a soldier, not on vacation, as a soldier, as a soldier of the Lord, you are guaranteed foreknowledge of your victory? You won. You have won. Grace. How are we going to win? How are we going to do this? Grace. God has accomplished what we need. And he's asked us now in that platform, that foundation, armor up, okay? Repent of your stuff. Grow. It all started in chapter four. What do we do now? What do we do now? Be pure, man. Be unified. Don't be a weirdo. Be harmonious as a man or a woman or a child or an employee or employer or a single or married. Be, be harmonious and walk in unity with each other and stand in victory. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with me right now, actually. Father, at the end of this service and at the end of this book, 
we just come to you and we say, here we are standing. We stand in allegiance. We stand in allegiance to you, Jesus, because you stood for us. Because you, you showed us what it looked like. And you called men and women to exemplify what it looked like. And we studied Paul's life and we're looking at each other. And Lord, we thank you, Holy Spirit, for being with us. And we ask now that you would anoint us to just stand, to keep our helmets on, to be people of the word. Lord, I'm going to be honest. None of this is going to happen. Not fruitfully anyways. None of this is going to change lives. None of this is going to be historical. None of it's going to be memorable if it's not you who does it all. You have to heal hearts. You have to heal the divorced ones. You have to set them free. Set them free. Captives from what? What are you setting captives free from? From our sins, our mistakes. May the captives be set free this morning. In Jesus' name, Lord, may there be freedom because you've won. We've failed. You've won. It's not about us. It's about you. We can't do it. Only you can do it. Lord, those who are struggling right now, those who have questions right now, they can't do this. You can. And so we stand, Lord, in allegiance to you. And even as we come to the table of communion right now, we remind ourselves of your death until you come. We examine ourselves, seeing that it's not us who is victorious, but it is you. And so, Jesus Christ, we love you and we need you. We look to you. Just help us, Lord. We're so funny. We're so weak. We get so confused over broccoli and milk at times, the normal stuff. We just get so weird. I pray you'd help us to keep our helmets on, our swords high, and our prayer real. In Jesus' name, amen.